we have a, uh, a theme for this year for uh, Trinity Bible Church. And so we always have our core values of learn, grow, and serve. But this year, our theme is very simply this, that we would have a clear vision of hope for 2020. A clear vision of hope, and that's based on 1 Peter 3.15, where it talks about how we are to set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts and always be ready to tell people about the hope that we possess. And that's really the, the picture of a disciple, that we are setting Christ apart as Lord, called to live those holy lives and continuing to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. But then we also then are called to go tell other people about it, right? And recognize that we're the people of hope because we, we actually possess within us the hope, the only hope that the world can ever know, the true and lasting hope. And that, of course, is Jesus. And so we are his representatives, right, church? And so we ought to represent him everywhere. And so this year, our focus is to bring a sort of a, a clear vision to that. A clear vision in all that we do about who we are and what we're called to do as a church and what Scripture says, most importantly, about what we should be doing as disciples. And so uh, all of our, our, our ministries, programs, anything that we do, our Sunday services together, will sort of you know, focus through that lens of our theme, a clear vision, but a clear vision of hope for 2020 this year. As you remember, when you have a doctor, the uh, dentist... If the dentist tells you you have 20-20 vision, go see another dentist. That's what I would say. When you go to the eye doctor, let's call him that, and he says you have 20-20 vision, it means basically, the old theory is that if you can see what you're supposed to from 20 feet away with each eye, then you have 20-20 vision. So if your vision is a little off, it means maybe in one eye you, can, you can't see as far. Maybe you can see a little bit further, right? But that's the idea is that we want to have sort of that perfect clarity, bring some clarity to our our vision for who we are called to be as a church this year. And so um, I think we had a great time finishing our year going through a series on um, uh, exploring essential theology, essential issues in theology as revealed in the greatest story ever told. And so we finished that up and we begin a new year with a new series and a new book because we, we uh, appreciate and, uh, and value uh, preaching through books of the Bible here on Sunday mornings especially as we uh, like to hear, of course, the whole counsel of God. Uh, and so we are beginning a new book today, and it's the book of 1 John. And hopefully you've uh, read that or parts of it. I think there's going to be a lot of familiar verses in this very short book that you'd be like, well, I didn't even know that was from 1 John. Like, I knew that verse, and I knew that truth, but I didn't know it was from here. And so it is a, a short book uh, by, by words, uh, by word count and, uh, and chapter count, but so profound and so chock full of so much truth, specifically about our fellowship with God. So you're going to hear that word a lot over this series, over the coming weeks. That word fellowship, that I truly believe that First John uh, is written by John the Apostle, the best friend of Jesus, really, who, who wants to remind us that we are people of hope because... Christ brings us eternal life. She's going to talk a lot about that promise of eternal life with him. But how we can have wonderful fellowship and a joy of that fellowship here and now. Yes, we should look forward to the future return of Christ, but we can enjoy true fellowship with him now. And he goes over and lists a bunch of stuff to say, are you in true fellowship with him? What is your walk like? And so the, um, the title of our series is Walking in the Light. 
because there's a, a popular and familiar passage, which we'll get to in the coming weeks, that we are to be in the light or walk in the light as he is in the light. And John uses uh, those words and those, that imagery a lot about light and darkness, and Jesus brought light into the world. And so for the next coming weeks, we are going to be looking at the, bo- the book of 1 John, and our series is called Walking in the Light. Because, you know, it's kind of hard to walk in darkness, isn't it? We've probably all tried that, right? Especially in the middle of the night, you get up and, and, and you're tripping over things, and it's hard to walk in the, in the dark. And usually this day and age, we just kind of have our cell phones, right? And we just kind of light the way with where we're going. And I remember back in the day, used to go to concerts, and what would everybody do when it got dark and a slow song came on? They put on their lighter. You remember that? If you had a lighter? Oh, some of you are like, what? Now it's your cell phone. You put it up to light it, to put some light in the darkness. But that is a big theme of this book. It's our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ that we can have an intimate relationship with him just like the Apostle John had. Because he was, by all accounts, the best friend of Jesus. Did you know that? I mean, there were the multitudes that followed him. And then scripture talks about the 70. There were 70 disciples that were closer and sort of more organized and gathered around him. And then, of course, he had the 12 disciples. And of the 12, there was three, Peter, James, and John, that were close. But did you know that John really seemed to be his best friend? That they were closest and had the closest of bonds. And so the apostle John, who also wrote the gospel of John, he wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He also wrote Revelation the same apostle, because he was the one that was so close with Jesus. See, very simply this, church, John had a very close and personal and intimate relationship with Jesus, and he wants everybody else to have the same experience. And so that's what he's going to unravel for us and sort of reveal for us in uh, in our study of this letter. You know, um, uh, I had heard a while back and was reminded of this amazing true story It happened in 1943, and if you remember in world history, what was going on in the late 30s and, of course, in the early 40s, and we know it was happening with the world war at hand, and there was a group of five Jewish families in the Ukraine who were escaping Nazi persecution. And I think by this time we have heard many stories about how uh, many of the the Jews who were escaping uh, Nazi persecution during the war and the things they had to go through, right? We've probably seen movies and read books and heard stories. And here is one I hadn't really ever heard before, but so powerful that there was a group of 38 men, women, and children uh, in early 1943, somewhere in the Ukraine, who were escaping the Nazis. And so... What they did is basically five families, 38 people. They had found a small hole in the ground out in the fields near where they lived in their town. And they noticed that one day there was a fox that went down in this hole, and he was down for a long time. And so one of the men thought, maybe there's a place down there that we can escape for a while. And so they started to explore and realized that there was a whole expansive cave system about a hundred feet below. And you know what? They were so desperate to escape what they knew was coming, what they saw happening to their friends. They said, let's go hide in those caves. So 38 of them slowly slid down one by one this narrow, muddy hole about a hundred feet down into this cave. If you've ever been in a cave underground, you know it's dark, right? 
We're talking about darkness. You're talking about pitch black darkness where the sun, the moon, the stars, no natural light can get down. But they were desperate. And so they went down. They figured they would hide out for a while. And at night, only the men, usually the young men, would sneak out to get some food, supplies, some water, and a little bit of firewood that they can find in the forest. The women and the children never left the cave for fear of what would happen to them. And so they figured they would stay for a few days. Those few days turned into 511 days. They stayed almost a year and a half, 100 feet underground, in this cave where it was pitch black. Did you ever spend a long amount of time in the darkness? And then what happens when you walk out into the light? You can't see, your eyes adjust, it's almost painful, right? They stayed for 511 days. The women and children stayed all of those days, never once leaving the cave. The men only at night. And they did this to escape the persecution. And it wasn't until after that, at the the very last day, for whatever reason that they realized it was a a bit safer to come out, that they were ready to leave. And do you know that the youngest of the children didn't even want to leave because it's all they knew. Think about a year and a half of darkness. When they left, the youngest of the children, two, three, and four, they didn't even remember there was such thing as the sun. All they knew of was the little bit of light from the fire that they kept burning in the cave. See, that light that they had in the cave, that fire light became their gathering place. It was the place where they got together because the light drew them in. The light is what drew them together. It is what kept them together. They supported one another. They loved one another and cared for one another. And they, they, they came up with ways to wash clothes so they wouldn't get sick and, and eat and drink what they needed to, but they survived. But you know, the day that they came out, the little kids didn't even know what the sun was. It took them days and days for their eyes to adjust. Can you imagine living that long in the darkness? It's an amazing true story of people going from complete darkness once again to the light, to where they were safe. So the Apostle John, he wrote us a letter to all fellow believers during that time and for us today, reminding us that there is a light in the world A light who has overcome the darkness. And that light has a name. And his name is Jesus. He is their true source of light. He is our true source of light. We are told that once, yes, we lived in darkness. But now we are children of light. And we are now to walk in the light. To no longer fear. To not fear the darkness. To not only know darkness. But to let the light the light of life, Jesus Christ, overcome that darkness. That darkness around us and the darkness in our hearts. This is fellowship with Christ. One day at a time until he calls us home, learning how to live and to walk in the light of Christ. That's fellowship with God. That's what we might call sanctification. That's what we call walking with Jesus. You ever have a brother or sister ask you, how's your walk with the Lord? Or, I'm, I'm in walking close with the Lord. Well, think about what that means when we're walking. First of all, we need light to show us where to go. The light is Jesus. But does it also mean we keep moving? Isn't that what walking means? Does anybody ever ask you, how's your standing with Jesus? How's your sitting there with Jesus? It's, it's the idea of walk, right? It sounds silly, but we get it. How's your walk with the Lord? 
I mean, didn't Jesus say, if you want to be my disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me? And follow me, he says. So if he's going somewhere, he's walking, and he's heading somewhere, if we're going to follow him, that means we're on the move also. Church, this year we're going to be on the move. See, because that's what it means to grow. That's the idea of growing closer in fellowship with Jesus. It's about developing, listen, developing an intimate and close relationship with the Lord Jesus. Now, for some of us, that might sound a little awkward, and I understand that. For some of us, it might sound a little weird, intimate relationship with Jesus. I mean, we know what that looks like maybe in personal relationships in our lives with a spouse or a close loved one, a parent maybe, or a sibling. But do you know that we are called to have that kind of relationship and even deeper with the giver and creator of life, the Lord Jesus? And so John the Apostle, who experienced that in in a real way, he wants all of us to share in that. And so this book of 1 John is very encouraging, but yet, I warn you, you will be challenged. You will be challenged. Because he, he over and over, he'll say, check yourself. Are you truly enjoying your fellowship with the Lord? You are saved. You are a believer, but are you enjoying that time with the Lord? Is it being reflected in your life? And if not, know that he's not the one that's walking away. It's us. And so we can turn and the light is right there. We no longer need to fumble our way through life in the darkness because we have the very source of light itself within us. And so our passage for today as we begin this study is 1 John 1, just the first four verses. It'll be up on the screen for you. But if you'd like to follow along, it's 1 John 1, 1 to 4. Uh, And here is what it says. This is how John the Apostle begins this letter. He says these words, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And verse 4 says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And some of your versions might say you. It's about joy, see? He says, I want to encourage you and remind you of these things. This is why it's so important. I'm going to, in a moment, give you a little bit of background about why he's writing this and and what that looks like. But did any of those words sound familiar from another book that the Apostle John wrote? How about his gospel, the gospel of John, the way that he starts the gospel? The gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Still talking about Jesus, right? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Really, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You kind of get that there's a theme with John. 
that he wants us to he wants us to know these things and so he wrote his amazing gospel as a gospel of evangelizing um, the lost and letting them know about Jesus and the hope that is only found in him but he also writes this this other letter of first John to encourage those already as believers to say remember what I told you to remember what you learned and here's some background about why he was doing this. You know, most of the New Testament, except for maybe the Gospel of John, is really ri- it's written to believers, but it's written in what we might call crisis language, meaning that it's written to address an issue. He didn't just usually write, the writers of the New Testament didn't just write to say, hey, how's it going? Everything good? Great. You know, I'll, I'll come and see you soon. All right, talk to you later. There was usually some kind of issue that the writer had to address, and this is no different. Do you know that from the very first generation of Christians, there were already many heresies, right, doctrines that were against what was being taught by the apostles that was coming up within the ranks of the churches and the leaders? I mean, it didn't take long for hypocrisy, for heresy, for bad doctrine to enter into the church. I mean, we might say we see it all around, but it started with the first generation of Christians. And so here is John the Apostle saying, no, 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 no. And so he wrote this letter, and he wrote this letter to say specifically, I understand that there's some bad teaching going on. And specifically, it was a thing called Gnosticism. Did you ever hear about that? From the Greek word um, Gnostic, right, or Gnosis, which means knowledge. And so the Gnostics, or Gnosticism, was simply this. There's a couple of things that really sort of was part of their trademark, was that they didn't believe necessarily that Jesus was truly human. See, because the Gnostics also believed in what we might call dualism or docetism, which means basically this, all matter, all created things are evil, and all spiritual things are good. And so there is this dualism. So they would say, how could Jesus be a true man? Because that's evil. All matter, all flesh All human beings, everything you see is evil. And so they didn't believe that he was truly human and man. And so then he started to infiltrate their understanding of the deity of Christ. But they also understood, even from the word Gnosticism, from knowledge, that they had a special revelation apart from God and his word that gave them some kind of mystical higher knowledge above everybody else. Those were the Gnostics. And this was coming into the church. You believe that? And so John the Apostle, who was the greatest eyewitness and had the closest personal testimony of the Lord Jesus, wrote this letter to say that's not true. And so how does he start this letter? And and the rest of our time together, we're just going to look at this flow of how John begins his letter. Because it's a great picture, church, a great outline of what it means to draw closer to Jesus in fellowship. So what does John do? He starts by saying these words. He says, that which was from the beginning, whether he's talking about Jesus as a person or the message of eternal life that's all embodied in him, either way, he's saying it was from the beginning. It's always been. All right. Again, he's speaking to these Gnostics and to the church at large. And he says, that which was from the beginning... And he tells them his eyewitness account. We heard him. Like we heard about him. And we heard him teach. And we've also seen him with our very eyes. He's like making a case for it, you see. And he says, not only do we see him, we also looked upon him. And we've touched him with our hands. And he's the word of life. And then in verse 2, he uses the word manifest. A couple of times he says, the life was made manifest. You know what that means? It means just clearly revealed. 
and laid out. Manifest means it's clearly laid out and revealed. Did you ever hear about how a, an airplane has a manifest? They kind of still use that in airplanes and ships. The manifest is very simply, it's a list of everybody on board, see? It's a list of everybody on board. And so what happens is they have this list and it's like they call it the manifest to say this is everybody that we have to hold accountable, see? It's everybody we're going to hold accountable that we know that we are accountable to. And so what happens is he uses this word manifest to say that Jesus himself has been manifest to us. We have proclaimed him and we have seen him. And then we give testimony to him, right? And so he says this. He says to testify and proclaim to this eternal life because the Father made him known to us. See, John, just like, remember the, John the Baptist? What did he say when he saw Jesus coming? He says, behold, right? What does that mean? He says, behold, look, check him out. It's that idea of saying, here he comes, let us draw closer to him, right? That's the idea. And so we see that in this opening words from 1 John, John the Apostle is making a very important point. And he says, no matter what you've heard, remember what I taught you and what the other apostles taught you. Remember what we said, that we know that Jesus really is who he said he was. Because we heard about him, and then we saw him, And then we looked at him, which is even closer, and said, then we touched him. It's beautiful. That's that's how I want to outline the rest of our time together. I just want to look briefly at each of those things. Because if you can picture it, if you see somebody walking towards you, right, you see them in a difference. First of all, you might hear them in the distance. You might hear them. So you hear about them. But as they grow closer, what's happening? Then you can see them, right? But as you begin to see them and they get closer, then you look at them. There's a difference, see? He's saying between the seeing and the looking, then they get closer and then you look at them. It's like, do you ever get somebody that you're close to, right? And you get up close and you're looking at them. I mean, you can see somebody, but do you really look at them? Now, man, maybe sometimes you've had your wife say that to you. Yeah, you see me, but do you really look at me? Or how about it's the same thing? Yeah, you hear me, but are you listening to me? But see, the idea is there's an idea of drawing closer, like, are you making it personal, see? But that's what John is saying. He said, yeah, let me give you an eyewitness account of Jesus, my best friend. We heard about him, and that was great. And then we saw him, and then as he got closer, we could actually look at him and enjoy him being in his presence. But not only that, then we could touch him. See, I was getting closer. He's intimate with him. But then when he talks about the light of life and that light is in us, how much closer can you get than touching being within us? Is Jesus not within us? In the person of the Holy Spirit, he is. And we have that light to then reflect, see? And so that's what John is doing. He is starting by making his case saying, I know Jesus. Trust me. I know him like nobody else. And here's how it works. So if you want to draw closer to him in your personal relationship, here's what it looks like. So let's use this sort of as a model. So the first thing that happens is we hear, right? Even if you're thinking about a lens, like if our theme for this year is a clear vision and the idea of a a lens, you ever take a picture with a really cool camera and you can focus it, right? And it comes into clearer view. The idea here is this. 
that first there is the hearing. It's sort of in a distance. We hear, we hear about him or we can hear of him. And, you know, we were like that once before becoming believers, right? That you hear a little bit about, you hear the name, you hear about the Bible maybe, and you hear. But that's okay because in a way, in developing a relationship with Christ as believers, that first step is, is important that we hear, okay? What does Romans ten fourteen tell us? It reminds us this. Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? This is Romans 10, 14. And how are they to believe in him who they have never what? Heard. Of whom they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So first, there is this idea of the word. The word goes forth, we hear the word. And John in his gospel in this, in, in this letter talks about Jesus being the word from the beginning. Jesus, the very word of God. So we hear the word. But see, in order, church, for us to be the light and to share that light and to walk in the light and then share the hope, we have to hear it ourselves. But then what do we do? Don't we tell others? I mean, Paul uh, Paul is saying here, how can other people hear if you don't tell them? Does that make sense? We can't just assume that people know about Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, so they need to hear. So step one is the hearing. And so, but as believers, we recognize there's two parts to that. We hear him ourselves. We heard him first. We continue to hear him, but it gets closer than that. But as we hear, then of course, there is the going and telling. So how about the second part of that seeing? So we hear, but then he comes into closer, closer view, you know, do you ever notice that, like, if you kind of reflect back on your years as a, as a believer in Jesus and choosing to be a disciple and following him, and you say, yeah, I mean, I remember what it was like sort of being a young Christian, and I thought I knew everything. And now I realize the more that I learn, the less that I know. Do you ever feel like that? Yeah. Right? But the idea is that, yes, you saw him, but it was sort of like this brand new relationship. You heard about him, and you're a believer, and you see him, but, like, you don't understand everything, but that's understandable, of course. But see, we have our whole lives to learn more and more about him, to draw in closer fellowship, to see him more. But what happens when you see him more, right? And so what does it say in John 1? So John, the same apostle, John 1, verse 29, the next day, this is John the Baptist, says the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. You remember that? You can picture that, right? Here he is baptizing, and here Jesus comes, and he says, Behold, like everybody, look. Here's the guy you heard about. So yes, they heard, but like here he is now in the flesh. He's coming. So look, because he's walking, see? So there's this idea of hearing, and then there's an idea of as he gets closer, you see. For us as believers, it's that idea of drawing closer in fellowship, Okay? And so we need to introduce people to Jesus as well. We tell them, right, so they can hear, but then we show them. How do we do that? We do it by living by example, walking in the light. We walk in the light as he is in the light. That is for our benefit to draw closer to him. It's for God's glory, but it's also so others can see and know, right? And so there's the idea of hearing, and then there's seeing, that we see him as we draw closer, he comes into more clear focus. But what's step three then in a sense? Step three is looking. So there's one thing to see, but as he gets closer, you look. 
you look. You know, every once in a while you'll see um, a, a certain video that will go viral. And, uh, and I know you know what I'm talking about, right? We look at those all the time. And so here's one, you know, in particular where usually it's a little kid who's at the zoo. And he's standing like in front of this glass. And there's usually like a lion or a tiger, right? And he's kind of playing. All of a sudden, the kid is just standing there. Parents are like, check him out. And then you can see the tiger or the lion like ready. And then that animal will come and just, you know, charge towards him because the lion doesn't know that the glass is there. And of course, the kid gets afraid. But the idea is like, he was like, yeah, look, see, see. Then he got up real close. It's like, yeah, look. He gets up real close. It's like, you can have like a real intimate view, right? But I mean, we see that. So here's the difference. So there's the hearing, there's the seeing, and then there is the looking. It's a more intimate and closer look. If you can turn to Matthew 17, it'll be up on the screen as well. Matthew 17, about the first eight verses, is this amazing and oftentimes misunderstood passage of Scripture that reveals to us something we call the transfiguration of Jesus. You remember that from reading the Gospels? I want to take Matthew's account here. and This is when Jesus takes his three closest companions, Peter, James, and the guy we're talking about, John. And he brings them up to a mountain, and all of a sudden something strange happens, right? And they're beholding something. I, as I read this, and you read it up on the screen or in your Bible... Can you just kind of take a mental note of all the times that you see the word or the words that have to do with like beholding or seeing or viewing or watching? Just get an idea like as I read this and you can kind of picture it happening. All right. You see why Jesus was doing this to give, listen, to give his closest disciples a closer look at him. I'll say it again. Jesus wanted to give. His best friends, including John, his closest companions, a closer look at who he truly is. He was blessing these three men. It says this, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his faith shone His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. And if you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Is that not truly an amazing picture of what Jesus did with his three closest friends? We see Jesus in what we call the transfiguration. He brings his friends up on the high mountain. 
and he was transfigured. What basically was happening, you see, it describes it as his face shining like the sun, his clothes became white as light. I think what was happening here is Jesus was giving them a glimpse of his glory, his true self, his true in all his glory, a glimpse, but also to encourage them to say, one day you will receive your glorification. One day, he says, you will be with me and you will be like me. See, Jesus is encouraging his disciples' church, and he's saying, look, I I love you, and you're like my closest friends. But he says, I want to give you an even even closer look at who I am. How good is Jesus to do that? But now, does he not give us his word and his Holy Spirit within us? How much closer can we get? So what we do as Christians, church, is we draw closer to him. We draw closer to the Lord Jesus in our relationship, in fellowship with him. As we walk in the light, in his light, it says, be in the light as he is in the light. We are to be like Jesus, to walk in his light and reflect that light. So we hear it, we see it, but then we get a closer look. Church, what does your relationship look like with Jesus these days? What's your walk look like? Are you walking with the Lord? Maybe you say, yeah, but I feel like he's like 20 yards that way because I just, I don't know. I don't know how to draw closer to him, and I don't know what that looks like. How do I love him more? I mean, First John is going to talk a lot about love. How do you love Jesus? I can't see him. I know the words he said, and I know he saved me, but every day, how do I love him? Jesus revealed himself in a very intimate way, in a very special way, to these disciples, Peter, James, and John. But do you know that he does the same thing for us today? In a different way, but he reveals himself in his word. When we spend time in his word, when we spend time in praying to him, that door is open, see, and we have this relationship with God, our creator, because of Christ Jesus. And he says, come, come to me. Do you remember when Jesus told his weary disciples and those who were just burdened by the law and he said come to me all who are weary and heavy burden i'll give you rest is that not a beautiful intimate invitation he didn't just say like read my words and like you know this is kind of theory he says no we're going to live this out together come come to me that's what jesus keeps calling us to do every day church that is the picture of fellowship come come closer so we have that hearing and the seeing and the looking you know, I think it's also funny before we move on to points four and five. You know, I've talked about Peter before and what I, when I was mentioning last week our theme for the year and, and, and how we are having a clear vision of hope for 2020 and based on 1 Peter 3.15. I was talking a little bit about Peter, how Peter can be a little restless, right? And Peter can be that, he's that disciple that was always sort of, you know, on fire. He was either like cold or hot and he was the one that denied that he would deny Jesus, right? And And here is Peter, and it's so funny almost. He's like, he's there with the other two guys, and then Jesus, and right after they see Jesus being transfigured in front of them, Jesus giving them a glimpse of their glory, and it says he was shining like the sun, and his his robes were such a bright white. And what does Peter do? He's like, Jesus, this is awesome. How about I build us some tents, and we can stay here. He's like, I'll build a tent for you and Moses and Elijah, and we'll hang out here, because this is good. But you know why I bring that up? 
Because Peter was saying, I love being with you, Jesus. And what you just did was amazing. And I want to keep having this close personal relationship. It's almost like Peter said, I don't want to go back to just our regular routine. You showed me something I've never seen before. So let's just, let's just do it right. Let's just live right here. But see, we can say the same thing. I know that you can relate to this church. The times in your life, maybe it's not right now. The times in your life when you just knew that God was drawing you closer, that the Lord Jesus was, I mean, Psalm 34 says that God is close to the brokenhearted. Maybe there's a, a time that you were going through, or maybe it's now when you're feeling so discouraged. The word tells us that God draws us closer to him in those times. I know you can relate to those times. Did you ever want to leave that? I mean, a time when you were drawing close and you're just like, I don't ever want to be the same. I want to stay right here. Like Peter says, let's just build some tents and and stay here forever. Because Jesus, I don't want it to go back to the way it was. I want to be with you in this intimate relationship every day. That's what John is saying. He's saying, you know what? I had this relationship with Jesus. You can have it too. You can have it too. As we hear him, And as we see him, as he draws closer, as we draw closer to him, we look at him. And then two more. It also says in our passage today, it says, John makes a point to say, and we looked upon him and we have touched him with our hands. They got to touch Jesus. So he's drawing you even closer. The hearing was good and the seeing was better and the looking was great. He's like, we got to touch him. So he's given an eyewitness account. Yes, we got to touch him. Do you remember when Jesus healed the leper in Matthew 8. Matthew 8, 3. Jesus, this is how Jesus chose to heal the leper on this occasion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And this is a leper. He touched him saying, I will, meaning like he was willing to heal him. Be clean. And immediately the man's leprosy was cleaned. What a beautiful picture. There's also that one of the, the women, the woman who had the issue and just wanted to touch the hem of his garment. Let me just touch him. Like she could see him. The leper could see They heard him. They heard about him. They could see him. He got closer. They looked, but they were like, I just want to touch him. Jesus reaches out and touches the leper. And the woman in the other story, she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. What does it look like for you to touch Jesus today? How do you draw closer to him where it's even that intimate where you can touch him and realize that he is surrounding you and hugging you? Do you know that as our heavenly father to the Lord Jesus, we can sort of just climb up in his lap when those times when we truly just need to be comforted and say, Abba, Father, how intimate is that? You ever do that when you were a kid? You remember doing that with maybe one of your parents or a close relative? He just climbed up on their lap because you trusted them so much. You got so close. You got so close that you could just, the hearing was good, but it wasn't enough. The the seeing them wasn't enough. You just wanted to get close and touch them. There's something about that. And finally, what does he say? After he says that he heard, and then he saw, and he looked, and he touched. And he says in verse 2, And the life was made manifest, meaning Jesus and his word and his promise of eternal life was fully revealed in Jesus, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Proclaim it and testify. We know what that means, right? 
we tell others about our experience. Like, maybe one time you were called to give testimony in a court case. I mean, if not, we know what it looks like, right? We see it on TV and the movies all the time. They bring in an expert or they bring in, even better, an eyewitness. Somebody who says, I was there. I saw it happen. People are telling you all these stories, but I saw it happen. And they bring in an eyewitness and they give a testimony. Here's how it went down. See, John is saying, I'm an eyewitness. But they tell their story. It's a testimony. Church, you know that we are also called to tell others about Jesus? We are to share our story. Maybe there's those times, we might call them divine appointments, when God brings people into your path and you're not even realizing. And it's like, it's time you know, okay, the Holy Spirit is telling you, tell them about Jesus. It's what the First Peter 3.15 says, our theme verse for this year. Always be ready to tell people, to give an account, or to tell your story about the hope that you possess. See, the possessing means you have it and you're enjoying it. Tell people about the hope, and you get to that point. Maybe you don't remember the scriptures right away. You pray the Holy Spirit would, would, would bring the scriptures back to mind. But you know what you can always tell them? Tell them your story. There's an old saying that, that says, People may doubt what you say, but they'll believe what you do. Tell them what Jesus has done for your life. So John the Apostle is saying, look at this. We draw closer to him. We even touched him, but then we're telling you So you can be encouraged and you can go tell other people. Because our life is a living witness. We're walking in the light. We're called to walk in the light as he is in the light. We are a living testimony, a witness to the grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's what we're called to do. So that is when John finally says, yeah, we heard him. And we saw and we looked and we touched him. But you know what else? We proclaim it to you now. We testify and proclaim, so we are called to do that. Matthew 28, 1 to 10. Some of you might say, I think I know that passage. Matthew 28, 1 to 10 says this. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. Does that sound familiar? And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You see that? We see Mary Magdalene, the first woman. It says Mary Magdalene in Matthew's account and the other Mary. To meet with and hear about the resurrected Christ and to go tell the others. I mean, they were, of all accounts, the first missionaries. What did the angel say? You came seeking. You came to look and to see his body. 
It says, this is what you see now. There's an empty tomb. See what I'm telling you to see. You came to see. Here's what you should see. Now that you have seen it, go and tell. You have seen it and you believe it. Now go and tell the other disciples. And tell them to go into Galilee because you know what? They're going to tell others and that's where they're going to see Jesus. See that? It's a beautiful picture. There is the seeing, but then there is the telling. Like John says, he says, we give testimony to it. We proclaim it. Mary Magdalene, she saw and then she went to tell. Church, we are called to go and to tell. I've said this before, but you know, in the Old Testament, the model was, the picture was, come and see. It was the temple where where God's presence was, and they would go worship at the temple. Come and see, right? But now, where's the temple? It's in us. So now, what is the church's commission? Go and tell. It's no longer come and see. It's go and tell. Matthew 28, a little bit further in that passage, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. That means doing it, acting it out, and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. So you're speaking it to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, Jesus says, I am with you always. It's the presence of Jesus Christ. That's how we draw closer to him in fellowship. We draw closer into his presence. How do we do that? He gives us his word. It's his very word. He says, now you can pray to your creator, God, your heavenly father. And you can pray in my name and pray through me. And the Holy Spirit will lead you. But you can draw closer an intimate fellowship with Jesus each and every day. He's given you the Holy Spirit to do it. He's given you his word. He's given you the privilege of praying. And John says in 1 John, he says, this is how it works. You hear him. You look. You see. You look. You touch. And then he's within you. And then what happens is you enjoy the fellowship. And you go and you tell others. So we can grow in our intimacy with him, get to know him better. And then we are called to be eyewitnesses, to give an eyewitness account. But you know, maybe it's better that we don't call eyewitnesses. We don't see him with our eyes. We can read his word, but maybe we're heart witnesses, you know. We're heart witnesses to others. What has Jesus done to me? He's changed my heart and he lives in my heart. Let me tell you about the one that I have fellowship with. Church, would you stand? Would you stand as we close our time together? Father God, we just thank you and and praise you just for your many things that you do for us, God. But I, I pray that as we leave here this morning, God, that you would put on our hearts a desire to walk with you further this week, to just draw close to you, to be in your word and just go and tell of the many blessings that you give us and the many stories that we have of you, God. And I pray that as we do that, those hearts of those who are retelling, Lord, that would, they would just be opened and they would receive just your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.